on April 26th, on Wednesday, a lawsuit was, it was actually filed on April 25th. A lawsuit was filed by uh, Brittany Abrahams, a former WWE writer. She, she wrote there from 2020 to 2022. Uh, it was against Vince and other WWE executives over alleged racial and gender stereotypes and scripts and wrongful terminations. Things that were in this script here were stuff like Bianca Belair using language that she was not comfortable with, uh, stereotypical language, Apollo Crews uh, using the stereotypical and exaggerated Nigerian accent. There were pitches for Shane Thorne to basically hunt Reggie and Reggie, who scripts in NXT, Reggie to escape. There was a love triangle pitch with Mansoor, Aaliyah, and Angel Garza that where there was a big secret involved. And the big secret in this was Mansoor was behind 9-11, which these were the pitches that were there in there. Uh, the, the lawsuit, which is like 30 something pages long, I believe it's 31 pages long, uh, had a lot of messages from like Slack conversations, like text messages, things like that. It was a, uh, against certain writers like, uh, Ryan Callahan was, was a big one that was on there. And so, a big lawsuit that has come out. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But right now we're going to, to talk more about this. We're going to be joined by a former WWE writer. He's also written for, for the LA Times. He's worked with The Ringer. He is Dave Schilling. Dave, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Jeremy, kick us off, please. Oh, okay. I didn't know if your mic was muted, Joel. It was. Uh, I accidentally muted myself. This is a great transition, guys. No, we really yes, Roderick Strong, right into <laughs> right into lawsuits. Uh, Dave, so first question is, when you saw this lawsuit as a former writer, what were your thoughts on all of it? Well, my thoughts were, I think, probably similar to a lot of people who are people of color who work for WWE, which is, I mean, not terribly surprising um, that someone would be upset about some of the things that they experienced at the company. Um, it's not the best place to work. If you are a person of color, you're a woman, you're you know, LGBTQ. Like it's just, it's, it's difficult because there are a lot of people there who are older, who are maybe not as sensitive to certain things. And at the end of the day, the person who makes the decisions is Vince McMahon. You know, even today, Vince has a lot of power and a lot of say-so in what goes on the air. And, you know, Vince isn't the world's most sensitive person. I think um, just just to give a little bit of clarity, you you were you wrote for WWE. Um, were there any storylines in particular that you were very involved in that just so maybe our audience gets an idea of the type of stuff you're working on? Well, I was there in 2019 um, and I was on SmackDown, on the home team on SmackDown. And the thing that we were the most um, concerned with, thing that we were most involved with, ironically, was Kofi Mania. And that was a storyline that obviously traded on a lot of um, sort of attitudes about race, um, ideas about who should or shouldn't be the champion. And I never felt like that storyline was disrespectful. I never felt like that storyline was treated in a way where Kofi came off as, um, you know, kind of uh, a token champion. Like that was a really great storyline. I'm very proud of the small part that I had to play in that. And I think, you know, we can debate how it turned out at the end when he lost to Brock Lesnar, which I found out about in April. 
we were talking about like the plan is first SmackDown on Fox, Brock is going to come in and he's going to win the title and it's going to be a quick match. And that's exactly what happened after I left. That was, that was the, the, the way that it turned out. But the, the writers in the room with me were always incredibly aware of what we were doing and why it was important. Uh, Steve Guerreri, who was the head writer at the time, Road Dog, um, Chris Dunn, Chris, um has always been a great friend of mine still is a great friend of mine um was brought up in the lawsuit i don't agree with that part you know i think i can speak to the way that chris behaved in the office the way that chris treated the talent the, the way the talent appreciates him specifically uh bianca um tez all of those people that um would be concerned about certain things if something bad was to come up, something bad was pitched to them. They love Chris. And I can only say good things about Chris Dunn. And um, if people feel like, you know, Chris is an issue or that something that he did was was inappropriate, I just can't agree with that because I, I know the kind of person that he is. I know Steve Guerreri and all those people that I worked with really wanted that, that Kofi Mania storyline to be as great as possible. And I think you can speak to any black person in, in wrestling and, and they'll point to that storyline being incredibly important and meaningful to them. It was to me when I was at WrestleMania. We, we know Kofi, Woods, Biggie, all, all of them have, seems like a lot of freedom, a lot of say when it comes to that stuff. And when they've talked about the storyline, they- Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store check out daily promotions same game parlays live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc said well why does you people have to be like black people like why can't it just be like nerds and, and things like that so was that part of that storyline as well as like a we think we're referencing like minority black people here but it's actually it's referencing just an encompassing kind of like minority in this situation yeah i mean any storyline in wrestling should be universal you know there's in 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 any writing specificity is important but the ability for you as the viewer to empathize with the characters is what allows everybody to jump on board and get excited about it, to get excited about what's going to happen in the match. Um, is the hero going to triumph over, over the villain? Um, obviously that the race element of it was implied. It was not explicit. We never talked about Kofi being black specifically. But we did talk about the challenges that he faced, the fact that people like him had never really gotten that chance. You know, obviously The Rock and Booker T had been champions before, but um, 
Kofi was a an avatar for every every fan. And anytime a a kind of underdog character blows up in wrestling, if it's uh, Daniel Bryan, if it's uh, Hangman Page, whoever it is, um, you want the fans to identify with him. Cody Rhodes is a good example of that. Now, Cody is an underdog, even though he's got the pyro and the great entrance and the music and, and the and the the great suits and all of that stuff. He's still treated like the underdog. That's why he lost at WrestleMania is to give him more of that underdog sensibility to his character. Um, you want everybody to get on board. You want everybody to feel like that wrestler in the ring right now is fighting not just for him or for her, but for you as as the viewer. And that makes you latch on to them. And that's why people love Sami Zayn. We had a we had a super chat from uh, Ryan Sullivan here. In Dave's experience, would these ideas have all been verbally submitted, or will they be written documents made available? Well, that's a great question. Um, during my time, we didn't really use Slack or anything like that. Um, every week, we would all submit a version of the show, and that would have you know promo language and, and stuff like that. Uh, basically a rundown from segment one to segment 11 of SmackDown, what was going to happen. Uh, so there were, there were written things, but a lot of stuff just gets kind of said, you know, I wanted Elias to hit Roman Reigns with a guitar in a segment. And someone said, you can't have Elias hit the world champion uh, with, a, with a guitar or not. He wasn't the champion, but like, you can't have him hit like this big, big top guy with a, with a guitar. Um, I wanted uh, Mickey James and Elias to, to be in like a Star is Born parody. Um, that didn't happen. I wanted to destroy the best in the world trophy. None of that stuff is written down. But there are things that I said. I really wanted to destroy that trophy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted the Miz to like run it over with a car or smash it with a sledgehammer or something. And just I think it was Shane who said, no, we're not going to destroy my trophy. What, what was he gonna do? Keep it and walk around with it backstage? Come on, this is great I, stuff. I, he probably still has it in his office somewhere. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, and by the way, I love the idea of being like, uh, we can't hit our top star with a guitar. We'll throw dog food at him though. That's totally cool. So, I mean, it's all about what Vince likes, and right. and a lot of these kind of like broad caricatures are things that Vince likes. Um, I can't speak to what happened after I left. But I'm sure he thought that um, Apollo Crews doing that accent was going to get over. Because that's, that's you look at the history of WWE and there's tons of examples of uh, stereotypical characters. This is not a new thing. This is not a new phenomenon. So I'm going to piggyback off of that when it comes to, to Vince liking something. A lot, these pitches, especially Mansoor being behind 9-11 when he was seven years old, uh, like I don't think you can defend any of this stuff but no. when when you're pitching something like how much of it goes through your brain of like i think this is terrible i don't think this should be on television at all but you know who's probably gonna like this and who's probably going to approve this the man up top there so let me just throw it out there and and see what happens with this like how much goes through your brain when you're pitching this kind of stuff well for me personally i would never pitch something i didn't believe in that i didn't think was going to be good tv um, maybe other people in the company would do that or have done that in the past. The thing is, like, there's a very structured system at WWE, probably still, where 
you're in the room, you're pitching ideas, the show gets put together, and then it is presented to Vince McMahon or Triple H or whomever is in charge at the time. They're the ones who are the filter. The head writers say, this is what we're going to do. And then it goes to Vince a couple days before the show, day before the show, whenever it is, or Triple H, and then it's finalized. Finalized in quotes because I can I can say from experience, you know, the Raw after WrestleMania uh, 35 in, in New York, the one that I worked on, everything got changed. The whole show got torn up, and we were writing promos while the show was live. So it, things change, but, you know, Again, can't speak to the the specifics of the lawsuit because I wasn't there, but I can say that any writer who comes up with something in a room, they're not necessarily ever going to get that to Vince. So don't pitch for Vince, pitch for what you think your head writer is going to like, and then they take it to Vince. So uh, one of the one of the, uh, the the things in that lawsuit was Bianca Belair pushing back on some stuff that was written for her. When you were at WWE, in your experience, did you have wrestlers kind of pushing back on some creative or were more more just like, yeah, this is fine. This is cool. Like, what what was that process like when you were working with other wrestlers and trying to collaborate? They always push, push back. They always push back because they're very protective of their characters. Um, I can tell you about, I've talked about this before, um, the former Revival, FTR, really hated a promo that I wrote for them, the Raw after WrestleMania. They thought it was, I was making fun of them being from the South because I, I had them say y'all or something. You know, like there was sp- specific accent kind of word choice in there. And they're like, they think us hillbillies talk like this, blah, 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 blah. They didn't know I had written the promo. I was just producing the, the pre-tape. Um, so it happens. It's going to happen. Eventually, they build trust with you. Maybe you, you hope they like what you have to say and, and they can work with you. And there's there's kind of a collaboration. I can't speak to Bianca and what happened, but I can say that, you know, Bianca worked very closely with Chris Dunn. So did the Street Profits. Um, they're still very close and they still speak regularly. And Chris always tried to make their promo segments the best they could. Um, you know, all that stuff with the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits was stuff that Chris worked on, and they were very proud of, of the stuff that they they came up with and they got to do during during the pandemic. And, um, you know, you're you're lucky if, if the talent really starts to like you and, and trust the work that you do. And, I, and Chris was an example of somebody who was able to get that trust. Miz is always a very collaborative person with the writers. I remember Sami Zayn would be in, in the writer's room very often working on his promos. Um, so yeah, this is, it's, it's, it's like any creative situation. You are writing something for a performer to speak on live television most of the time. And so there's not, not a lot of room for error. And so they're involved. They want to do the best that they can. And if you're in a top spot, you have a lot more leeway than somebody who, who isn't. And Bianca specifically, I think, really loves her character and is very protective of her character. And more often than not, what she does on TV is what she wants to do. Were there any pitches that you heard that you just kind of roll your eyes at? Because a lot of writers will say, you know, what you see on television is obviously what gets through. What you don't see on television, you can only just kind of imagine what you don't see. You know, Gewurz is 
mention a bunch of different stuff that had been pitched that didn't make it like where there's something that was pitched there's like what what are we thinking here what are we doing here guys oh where it was like a terrible idea that didn't get on tv whether it's a terrible idea whether it was something a racist idea whether however the idea was came about it's just like no this we just can't do this at all um there's always just kind of things that are said um that aren't necessarily pitches like again this is such it's such a free-flowing environment that things may not actually get to the point where they go to Vince. Like they're not really pitched until they go to Vince. And I remember, you know, Bruce Pritchard had a lot of ideas for the Kabuki Warriors. I think maybe even, was was that the Kabuki Warriors? What were they called? Yeah, Asuka that was, uh, and, yeah, Asuka and Kyrie. Kyrie. Yeah. yeah, he really loved that name and I thought it was terrible. <laughs> I thought the idea was like patronizing and lame. Um, but it got on TV. Um, the Mandy Rose, Sonia Deville storyline. This is another Oscar thing. You know, that was supposed to be, that was supposed to culminate in a, in a romance between Sonia and Mandy at WrestleMania 35, where it was a triple threat for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And um, Mandy was going to win because Sonia would lay down for her and they would they would embrace and kiss in the middle of the ring. And I said, oh boy, you're gonna you're gonna do this. I understand why this is this could be great. Because this is representation, it's very necessary. To WWE's credit, they went to Glad. Stephanie McMahon was on the phone with him. Like, can we do this? Can we make this um palatable and sensitive to the this the situation uh with queer people in america can we make this a a good angle and the the thing that i said was great but at wrestlemania sixty thousand people are going to be rooting for oscar and they're supposed to be the baby faces at the end of this they're going to be booed out of the building and you're going to have uh two women kissing in the middle of the ring and people booing because they love Asuka so much. And people do love Asuka. And every time I think WWE thinks, well, they can just kind of beat her and whatever, who cares? She's just a, an action figure and you, you move her around. They forget that people have a really intense relationship with her positively. Even if they tried to make her a heel, they'd still root for her because she's cool. She's great in the ring. Um, and eventually that storyline didn't get done because they decided to put the belt on Charlotte. Um, but it could have turned out poorly, even though the best intentions were were, were there. And they really did want to make a good storyline. And Sonia was involved and Mandy was involved and they were very excited about doing this. At the end of the day, you got to do it right. And I think that would have been the wrong way to do it because you would have been beating a baby face that people love at WrestleMania when there's so much complaint in the, the wrestling community around how she's always losing. Asuka specifically. Pronouns. Got to watch out for the pronouns. Uh, as we start to wrap up, I'm, I'm curious for your opinion. You were, you were in it for a while, and you mentioned you know there are a lot of uh, older voices who maybe don't see things the way that you know, the, the younger generation do, if you will. Is there a point in which you think WWE, wrestling in total, in general, will start to view 
the benefit of telling more nuanced, balanced stories that are not full of what we've been seeing? Well, a lot of those people have to retire. I'm not going to say die because that's that's kind of mean. I don't want any of those guys to die because they're legends in the, in the wrestling business. But I don't know if we need to continue to hear what Michael Hayes has to say about storylines. I think he can put together an amazing match. But do I need to hear Michael Hayes or Vince McMahon or Bruce Pritchard tell people in their 30s, people in their 20s, children, what is entertaining? This is no knock on them. They're all, they've all done amazing things in the wrestling business and given me years, decades of enjoyment. And they were all very nice to me. Michael Hayes and I, I had a, a run-in with Michael Hayes once where I was watching a Dodger game during the Hall of Fame ceremony in the backstage and he got mad at me. Because <laughs> I think it was, it, was, it was ultimately disrespectful to the event and, and the guys uh, and girls who were, were part of it. And so I felt bad. But I was also kind of just like, I, why am I here? I'm not working. Anyway, I think there needs to be more youthful energy in wrestling. I, th I think AEW has done a, a good job of presenting their characters in a way that is more appealing to younger audiences. Um, WWE, in a lot of ways, Roman Reigns and the Bloodline, I think, are very modern characters and very exciting and cool. And even though they're heels, people still think of them as cool. Um, but the people making the decisions are, are old. And at some point, those people need to move aside. I think Tony Khan as a booker of AEW is doing a good job, but you know, he's not surrounding himself with younger people. Uh, he's not surrounding himself with a team of writers who can say, this is, this is cool. This is not cool. Not to say that Tony doesn't know what's cool or, or whatever. Tony's probably my age and as, as, <laughs> as checked in as I can be in my, in my mid thirties. Um, but like, I think it just, you need to have that youthful energy. And that's, that's what's so exciting about um, AEW and on some level WWE, but there needs to be more. And, and the more people um, of a certain age step aside, the better it will be for everyone, that there will be less of this um, kind of tension between the sensibilities of 2023 and the sensibilities of 1987 you know that's the hardest part about working there is those those guys don't get it sometimes and you wish they did Dave, everyone and thank you for joining us today much appreciated let everybody know and thank you for the conversation and the insight let everybody know where they can find you at I am on Twitter at Dave underscore Schilling. If you want to send me a blue sky invite, please do. I'm, I'm always, DMs are open for that. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for, for having me on. It was a pleasure and, and I was glad to, to speak on this subject. And did you find Nia Jax? <laughs> um no no that was those were jokes i there were some people who were like oh that guy's a creep why is he why is he stalking nia Jax? i don't think he's talking nia Jax. she is a very nice person i don't know her at all i did not get to interact with her much other than her almost hitting me with a golf cart that's about it. <laughs>
<laughs> there we go. We got clarity on that, everybody. Quit giving yeah. Dave a hard time on that. Thank you very much for joining us, Dave. Thank much you. appreciate it. Everyone go follow him on Twitter. He gives great insight, not only on wrestling, but other topics as well. And the WrestleMania 35 thread uh, was just tremendous stuff. A lot of a lot of good behind-the-scenes stuff on that. So thank you, Thanks, Dave. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc